Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the Hockey Podcast, a podcast where I talk all hockey, anything that's right now trending, and of course, the Stanley Cup final. But because I'm a bit late on that and everyone pretty much knows what's going on, I want to talk about more juicier stuff. Yes, I'll talk about the Stanley Cup final and like five keys to the Bruins and Blues game six, but as well, I also want to talk about the draft. I feel like the draft is very, very close, and people don't really realize it simply because, you know, the Stanley Cup vinyl is on, but it's a pretty big thing in my opinion, and I feel like, yeah, obviously, it changes people's teams dramatically, especially if you have that first overall pick. I mean, Jack Hughes looks like a dynamic player, and as well, even the second overall pick, Capo Caco, amazing he is doing. So let's first start with the Boston Bruins and St. Louis Blues, the five keys, in my opinion, to the series. Alright, so number one, in my opinion, easily, is starting off right. Um, I've noticed throughout this series that the team that starts and gets the first goal, which has mostly been the St. Louis Blues, wins the hockey game. And it showed in Game 3 when Boston completely blew out the St. Louis Blues. And, I mean, yeah, it shows. Whoever gets the first goal will most likely win the hockey game. I feel like that's just how it's been, and that's how it's going to be. It's all about mentality. I'm telling you right now, whoever gets that first goal is going to dramatically keep the game, especially if it takes all them all the way to the third period to get a goal. Sorry for the background noise, but going on to number two, everyone knew that this was coming, obviously, matching up the Bruins' top line. Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. They have been unstoppable throughout the whole playoffs, and I personally feel like they're so deadly, it's just, I don't know what it's been. They have not put up a single point in the first five games. Five games of the Stanley Cup Final. Obviously, they have had five on four points, but I'm talking five on five. They have not had a single point. That's how good the Blues have shut them off. And Bruce Cassidy actually said uh, they're nearly ready to break out, especially Brad Marchand, who has hit the post and had other good chances among his three shots on goal and six shots attempts on five on five. And he says... He feels they're very, very close, and they better put it tonight because it is a very big game for them. The fourth, the fourth thing is Bennington rebound control. What I've noticed is that he really, he really makes a lot of saves, especially in games when their top lines are on. You're not keeping them out of your zone. It's more neutral play where you come and have a chance and you go the other way, you have another chance. That's how it's usually been this series, unless, of course, Boston taking over game three. But what I'm talking about is his rebound control. I've noticed, personally, from watching him, Jordan Bennington has been the difference from game in Game 5, obviously, and throughout the whole series. However, though, he has also left rebounds in and around the slot a lot. And the Bruins weren't able to get to them because the Blues were so good at clearing out the area in front of the net. Of course, Petrangelo, even forwards help out sometimes. We have Petrangelo, Edmondson, even Bomeister. They have really... They're really big, and they can clear out that zone. But Bennington, in my opinion, has to do a way better drill controlling his rebounds and take some pressure off his defense if he wants to win the Stanley Cup tonight. 
Number five simply has to be the bottom six shuffle for the Blues. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's basically the third and fourth line. The bottom six of the lineup needs to really just flow with the game. Create a chances, push Get those types of goals. What they've been doing, the St. Louis Blues, all season long. Simply rolling all four lines, being able to score, and just playing the best you can. And since Barbashev is suspended because of his illegal check to the head of the Bruins forward, Marcus Johansson, in Game 5, quote-unquote, from NHL.com, Robert Thomas will be back after missing four games with an upper body injury. Obviously, if you guys haven't seen that, the Tory Krug hit. I'm not going to say anything about that because, personally, I think that was deadly. And not deadly, but a nasty hit should have been at least a a four-minute. Not a four-minute, but just something. Some action had to be taken on that. And, obviously, the last one, just going with the momentum and flow of the game. And this is my personal one that I make myself. And I I notice this when the Leafs play, too. You know, when they played against Boston. Are they being aggressive? Are you getting held in your zone? And are you pushing? Of course, Toronto throughout most of the series controlled it, actually. But it came game four and up. They really started to either sit back or they weren't throwing as much hits as the other team was. Of course, Boston. And that's the thing with Boston. Everyone knows that they're a very aggressive team. And everyone knows that they love to do the body. They love to throw the body and be aggressive. So in my opinion, as long as the Blues do the exact same thing back, keep the momentum and the tone of the game set, they can really match up against the Boston Bruins. For the Boston Bruins, they have Stephen Camper and David Back is scratched, and they have you know have Matt Grizzlick, Chris Wagner, and Kevin Miller. So two very big defensemen and one good fourth line forward out. But that allows Carson Coleman to draw in on the second line, and for of course the Blues, no injuries. They have Ivan Barbashevich suspended, and they scratched actually Joel Edmondson, Del Zotto, Robbie Fabry. Yes, Joel Edmondson was a big part, but I feel like since Vince Dunn came back from injury, he found a fit, and Robert Bertuzzo being that experienced defenseman, they keep him. And of course, drawing in for Barbashev, Sunquist will be going drop down to the fourth line, then it'll be Maroon, Bozak, Thomas. Blay, Sunquist, Steen. That Those two bottom six lines need to show up. And finally, to start this podcast, I'll do my top five for the draft picks um, and my thoughts. And of course, thank you for watching if you have to this point. I really do appreciate it. It's my first time doing a podcast, as you could tell. My voice may be a lot of stutters or just me being nervous in general. I just I love talking about hockey. I love talking about the game. And around this time in the year... It gets really interesting. Like, a lot of stuff happens in the NHL that you don't know. Of course, um, Patrick Marlowe probably leaving the Maple Leafs uh, as well. Zaitsev requesting a trade. Um, on top of all of that, will we resign Mitch Marner? We don't know. I'm pretty sure, though, um, if we do get rid of Zaitsev and uh, Marlowe with those two decently fair big contracts, that will be enough to at least sign Marner, and then if we do have to get rid of Kapanen or Janssen, in my opinion, I would want to keep both and probably drop another forward, but you can't do that. You're probably going to have to lose one of them. But that's for a complete different podcast, Maple Leaf fans, which are probably near to none that are watching the podcast, but if you are, stay tuned. I love the Maple Leafs. I've been a fan since I was young, and yeah. 
So for the top five picks, it goes New Jersey at number one. Cap, uh, my bad, the Rangers. <laughs> Cap Bocaco at number two. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks at number three. Number four, the Colorado Avalanche. And number five, the LA Kings. And that's going to be a big pick for LA because they already do have Sean Dursey and Cal Grunstrom from us. From the Muzzin trade, I have mixed feelings about that trade yet again for another broadcast. Um, but that's going to be a big pick for them. They can finally get their top prospect center, uh, or pro- top prospect forward, or whatever they seem to pick um, from that position. And, of course, yes, they do have Jared Anderson Dolan, but we'll figure that out once it comes. So, number one, and this is probably one of the most controversial picks of the draft. And a lot of people said this due to the world, um, the world championships that happened in Finland winning it and beating Canada. But of course, Jack Hughes still had a stellar tournament, but not as well as Capo Caco. And people are saying that Capo Caco has shown so much and so much potential to some teams that they either may trade up or they may, he may even get taken at number one. But personally, I do not see the Devils taking that chance. They've been here before. They've taken Nico Heischer. It hasn't been a mistake. Nico Heischer is becoming a very good player. It just needs time. The Devils need to get back into the playoff scene. They need to start to develop their prospects. Of course, Michael McLeod. Um, they have tons more. And Jack Hughes, in my opinion, easily to be picked at number one. And of course, Jack Hughes, if he gets picked at number one, without a doubt, Capo Caco is going at number two. Such a great talent. He's been compared to Timo Solani. He looks amazing. He's a very good player. At number three for the Chicago Blackhawks, of course, with Taze Kane aging, the Taze Kane Crawford Keith era slowly fading away, and now it's starting to become the Alex Debrinket era. Uh, along with a few other prospects, of course, Adam Bovquist. They have a lot for the future, but. I personally think they're going to take Alex Turcotte. And the only reason why is because Alex Dabrinkat at the wing seems perfect. Since, of course, Brendan Saad doesn't really take that first line area. And it's been Dabrinkat Taze Kane for majority of the time. But Alex Turcotte, the young center he is, he kind of reminds me of a smaller Jonathan Taze, a pure goal scorer. He is Chicago's pick. I know that. At number four, this could be a weird one. I feel like this is another one of those uh, debatable picks, of course, because Kirby Doc slipping so far, one, two, and three spots. You know, Avalanche took Kale McCarr the last time. They also have Tyson Jost. Who would they pick? In my opinion, I'm sticking with it. Bowen Byram, debatably the best defenseman in this draft, hands down. 6'1", 191 pounds, a left-handed shot defenseman from Vancouver in the WHL. He is a beast. He reminds me of a, um, what's a defenseman in the NHL right now? Like a Morgan Riley. A very goal-scoring, big, can-throw-the-body defenseman. He is your captain. Of course, you could say that McKinnon's always going to be the captain, even when he becomes a number one in their lineup, potentially. But still, he is a veteran presence. He has the, the leadership in him. And at number five, obviously, DLA Kings are probably going to be taking Kirby Doc. That's my pick. The Claude Giroux, in my opinion, type center. Um, 6'4", 185 pounds from Saskatoon at the WHL. I got to watch some of his games. He looks filthy. I love the way he is. Uh, he just, he, he's so big and he's still fairly fast. He's just, he needs to work a bit on skating. He has a stellar shot, great hands. 
Um, it sucks that they didn't go far Saskatoon, but it is all right. Uh, they did amazing this year, and so did Kirby Doc. So that's pretty much going to wrap up this podcast for the first ever on the Hockey Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, stay tuned for more. Thank you.